everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. As always, I'm Lisa Pettibone, and this week I have just one word for you, plastics. Today I'm going to talk about plastic, where it comes from, how much we produce, what we do with it, and why it's such a big problem related to climate change. So first, I spent a lot of time on The Guardian's website. They've done an excellent series called The United States of Plastic over the last few months, where they've collected a lot of information on plastic production and recycling, particularly focused on the U.S. They found, for example, that eight 0.3 billion tons of plastic have been produced since 1950. In 2019, plastic production and incineration was responsible for 850 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent, roughly the same as 189 coal power plants. Here they cite a report by the Center for International Environmental Law. Microplastics are also a big problem. They're released into the environment, and then they continue to emit tiny amounts of greenhouse gases indefinitely. They also interact negatively with animal and plant life. You probably have seen photos of sea animals who have died by ingesting plastic, but microplastics have also been found in the fish, the Arctic air, ice samples, and even in the human body. It is suspected that every human has microplastics in their body. We ingest them in honey and sugar, water, table salt, soft drinks, and many, many other things we haven't even discovered yet. So there's a lot of plastic. The amount of plastic that is being produced is growing. It creates huge amounts of greenhouse gases and leads to additional environmental problems once it is released. At the same time, a lot of this problem comes from the fact that plastic is so difficult to recycle. Currently, about 9% of plastic created worldwide is recycled. There simply isn't a market for many plastics. And even the highest quality plastics The price for recycled versions of those plastics is only a little bit less than for new, which makes it very difficult to convince manufacturers to buy recycled rather than new plastic. At the same time, because plastics have become such a huge environmental problem, the United Nations has stepped in. This summer, over 180 countries signed a UN treaty to ban shipments of hard-to-recycle plastics to poor countries. This is part of the challenge is that so much plastic is being created that particularly in rich countries, there's no way to recycle it all. A lot of it gets shipped to poor countries. This challenge reached a crisis stage in 2017 when China stopped accepting plastics from the United States. Since then, the U.S. has scrambled to try to find other countries to take its several hundred thousand tons of plastic. 
The UN also estimates that plastics could account for 20% of oil consumption and 15% of the carbon budget by 2050. So this problem is big, it's getting bigger, and it needs to be addressed now as part of a comprehensive plan to address climate change. In Germany, one of the main policies that seeks to address plastic usage is a deposit for single-use plastic bottles. In 2003, the country introduced a 25-cent deposit that was intended to deter customers from buying plastic bottles and switch to glass bottles, which only have an $0.08 deposit. The policy has had some successes. For example, return rates on single-use plastic have skyrocketed to 99% in Germany. At the same time, the policy hasn't led consumers to switch to glass bottles. Actually, the reverse is true. Reusable bottle usage has fallen from 80% to less than 50% in the last 15 years. Beyond this, only 25% of single-use bottles are recycled into other bottles. The rest are turned into fibers for other things, sent abroad, or incinerated. In contrast to the U.S., which puts most of its trash in landfills, in Germany it's mostly incinerated. A new law this year will make clear that single-use plastics are not environmentally friendly making a clear tag on supermarket shelves to hopefully encourage consumers to stay away from single-use plastics and switch to, to products that use glass and other materials. So we've got too much plastic. We need to reduce. One way is to switch to products that are in glass bottles and other containers. Another approach is packaging free supermarkets. And I want to talk about this in a little bit more detail because this is something that's making me incredibly unhappy this week. So I teach classes on sustainability to earn my daily bread. And one of and because plastic is something is an issue that interests my students fairly consistently, I try I usually try to take them to a packaging-free supermarket here in Berlin. Unfortunately, over the four years that I've taken students to this packaging-free supermarket, I have gotten no end to pushback from the managers, from the employees, from the press team that don't want me bringing my students into the store. This confuses me and this outrages me to no end because to me, a packaging-free supermarket is a small utopia. It's a practical experiment to demonstrate we can live differently. We can live without plastic. And what better way to spread the message of plastic-free living than by bringing in student groups and sharing with them factual information about how much plastic this sort of thing has saved and telling them how they can start a plastic-free supermarket in their hometown. This is why I cannot wrap my head around the pushback that I get from this supermarket that has consistently said they don't have room 
for students in their shop, that they don't have time to speak to my students, that they don't get enough money from my students. I have no idea what their concerns are. So I recently found out that there is a new packaging-free supermarket, only a 10-minute walk from one of the classes I teach. This is a class where several students are interested enough in plastic that they are writing papers on how to reduce plastic. What a better learning experience can they have than going to a packaging-free supermarket that they can then go to during the rest of their time living in Berlin? I also heard from a friend of mine who is familiar with this supermarket that they are, that this new location is friendlier to tours and student groups. So I emailed them and said, hey, I'd like to come over. I want to bring these students. They're very engaged. They're very interested. Would that be okay? (sighs) And I got, as usual, the same pushback. I couldn't believe it. It was, it's one thing to say, no, we don't have the capacity. But the first email said, no, you can't come during store hours. There are too many of you. You have to come after hours. So I said, all right, let's come after hours. To which the response was, no, not until January. If you could see me, you would see that I'm ripping my hair out right now. So my challenge and this is going to be, I think, a long-term challenge over the next few months, is to talk in person to the owner of one of these packaging-free supermarkets, figure out what are the real concerns with having my students there, and try to find a way so that I can take my students and the store doesn't feel overrun with a gaggle of English-speaking crazy people who might not be expected to come every week after this. I think that this is one way that I can scratch an itch that I've had for several years and deal with a frustration that I've had for several years and hopefully share a really great solution to reduce plastic more broadly. Of course, beyond this long-term challenge, I'm also, challenge, I'm also challenging myself not by drinks packaged in single-use plastic bottles. I don't do this very much anyway, but sometimes I will go for the smoothie that's in the plastic bottle rather than the glass bottle, and that needs to stop. All right, so I've really worked myself up. What's giving me hope this week? This month, Missy a feminist women's pop culture and political magazine, did a major feature on sustainability. Interestingly, they also published a letter from a reader at the beginning of the issue complaining that the magazine doesn't write enough about climate change and sustainability issues. I read the dossier on sustainability then as a direct reaction to this reader. So to you, thank you for writing into Missy and to the magazine for hearing you and writing about this important issue. Thanks for listening. Last weekend, I went to Neublantenburg to give an impromptu talk at the Document Art Film Festival after one of their films dropped out. I talked about my quest to reduce my carbon emissions through this podcast 
and I had a really, really nice time talking in English and in German with a lot of really engaged people about climate change and what we can do to make a difference. It was a really nice conversation that got me thinking about not just the benefits of this podcast and not just what I've achieved, but also the shortcomings and what aspects of climate change you really can't tackle by being one person with a small carbon footprint talking to other people who also probably have pretty small carbon footprints. I get that climate change feels like an insurmountable problem and that the little things that we can do sometimes seem too small to matter. One of the questions I got was about my homemade deodorant and isn't that tiny in the face of challenging global capitalism? It's funny because at the time I said, yes, I understand that capitalism is a bigger problem. I'm going to tackle that in the future on the podcast. But after I got back to the hotel room, my husband said, no, making your deodorant, your own deodorant is a perfect way to fight the global capitalist system because you're taking yourself out of the deodorant market. So yeah, these little things, they can seem small, but they can also be a step in the right direction. And really, there's no other place to start. And I found since starting this climate diet that each small change I make works as a catalyst, inspiring me to make another change and another and another. So to everyone I met at Document Art last week, thank you for being open to watching something other than a film at a film festival and for inspiring me with your interest and concerns. And I've got some new ideas for episodes in the future. Next month. I've been doing individual episodes for a while now, but I want to get back into deeper dives into larger issues over several episodes. That was something I really enjoyed, particularly with my month on banking. So next month, I'm going to be looking at food. Specifically, I'm going to talk about my experience going vegan the past few, the past six weeks and the impacts of eating meat and dairy products on the planet. I'm going to challenge myself to cook delicious seasonal meals, and I'm going to share the recipes with you. And hopefully I will have at least one guest to talk about veganism. And really, what could be better as we prepare for Thanksgiving? Thanks also to David from Kvents for letting me use his music. And thanks to you too. Since I got back from my summer of house cleaning, I've been humbled by how many people listen to this podcast. This has been a labor of love for me, and I appreciate you giving me a listen. Feel free to drop me a line with your climate tips, things you like or don't, or just a kind word at lisa at myclimatediet.org. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lisa Pettibone. And don't forget to rate My Climate Diet on Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for others to find me and start their own climate diet. Because if everyone went on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I don't